0: You're listening to Story City Church in Granada Hills, California. We exist to glorify God by leading communities into healthy relationships with Jesus and with others. And here is this week's message. Colossians chapter 2, chapter 4, verses 2 to 6, I'll end by saying, this is the word of the Lord, and you couldn't respond by saying, thanks be to God. Colossians 4, devote yourselves to prayer stay alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the word, to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains, so that I may make it known as I should. Act wisely toward outsiders, making the most of this time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Chris. Good morning, guys. It's good to see y'all. So I'm just really glad to be here with you today as we close out our series on Colossians today uh, with a message which we have titled, A Community Rooted in Christ. Uh, The thing about being a part of community, and uh, you should probably already know this if you've been here for a while or if you're involved in one of our missional groups, is that one of the aspects that is crucial to sustaining healthy community is knowing one another and being known by one another. Um, So I am doing all that I can uh, to get to know you guys better as as I serve here as a part of this church. And I hope that over time, uh, all of you continue to get to know me too. Um, before we get too deep into the passage today, I want to share a brief story about something I enjoy. Um, if you've spent any time with me, it's probably not a big secret that I really like, like really like movies. Um, going to the movie theater ever since I was a little boy is like one of the, my favorite things to do when I have spare time. Or um, if, if my wife and I want to go on a date and she's like, I want to you know, do something you want to do, you know, she'll, she'll take me there. Um, and I get really excited. I mean, she likes it too, but like I'm, I might have an unhealthy relationship with how much I love it. I don't know. So uh, it's, just, it's just a passion of mine. So um, I would like to invite you guys today, metaphorically speaking, to come to the movies with me. Um, now, because listen, I'm the way my bank account's set up, I can't physically... Take all of you, you know, there as much as I would love to. Uh, But I am going to be using a few examples from some movies that are special to me today that kind of apply to our teaching. Um, And so it's my hope that even if that's not really your style or something, uh, that it would just be something you would just know me a little better with today as I do my best to give you something that will help you know the Lord better. Uh, so I want to talk to you briefly about one of my favorite movies uh, and, and, and just another thing about my person, personality, the fact that I'm even calling it a favorite is a real achievement because I'm so indecisive about narrowing down that list, but this is definitely one of my all-time favorites. Um, so obviously here in the LA area, there's sites all over the place, you know, that have been used, you know, for shooting films and stuff. So there's a lot of like recognizable uh, places and uh, where different movies have been filmed. And, and not long after we moved here, I was still getting used to that reality. So like, you know, driving around town, taking the kids to the doctor, or, you know, just going through in and out or whatever and be like, wait a minute, that place looks really familiar. Um, so one day I'm uh, driving around the valley, just a few blocks from our house. And um, all of a sudden I just passed this random building and I am like immediately transported back like 35 years. Um, So this building, uh, I passed just a few blocks from my home. Real quick, just, uh, we're gonna put it up there. Does anybody recognize that building? It's okay if you don't, I heard somebody yell it already and my heart is warmed. Thank you so much. This is from the Karate Kid. Uh, If you're unfamiliar, this this building was heavily featured in the Karate Kid movies in the 80s uh, and a little bit in Cobra Kai, if you're into that, and and Netflix, uh, I totally am. Anyways, uh, this is about scripture and I promise I'm not gonna get too deep into this, but if, you've not, if you're not familiar with that series, I want to tell you just a little bit about it. Um, and so it's about this young man named Daniel who constantly finds himself bullied, wouldn't you know, by people who are very skilled at karate. Um, in the title right so uh, but what 's special about those films is this relationships he develop this relationship he develops with his mentor, a man named Mr. Miyagi, uh, this really patient uh, handyman who teaches him karate, and he has a passion for uh, Um, I don't really know how you describe doing this, but like he really likes bonsai trees. So he's always like pruning them and like, you know, sort of just shaping them and stuff like that. So anyway, one day Daniel runs afoul of another advanced karate bully. uh, And in the encounter, um, one of Mr. Miyagi's trees that is very special to him is stolen. and And in that interaction, the tree gets split down the middle like a wishbone. And uh, Daniel feels inconsolable because he really treasures his relationship with Mr. Miyagi and something that's really special to him has been damaged and he's blaming himself for, for letting that happen. So he takes the broken tree to his mentor and he's like, I'm so sorry. And very patiently and calmly, Mr. Miyagi takes the tree from him and immediately just gets to work trying to restore it. And, um, Daniel always seems surprised for some reason over the course of, like, three movies that Mr. Miyagi is never as emotionally shaken as he is. But um, he asks him, he says, you know, what, what are you doing? Like, is, can this tree make it? And uh, Mr. Miyagi responds to him with this, this, just this one line. He says, if the roots are strong, the tree will survive. So, why did I tell you that story? Uh, One, I already said this, but this is my way of letting you get to know me a little bit more. Um, But two, that summary introduces us to today's big idea, which is a community rooted in Christ stands firm in all seasons. We arrive here at the end of Colossians, and just to recap, the Apostle Paul has sent out this letter to the Colossian church with a few different teachings. Uh, one is confronting false teaching in the church by establishing that Christ is the identity of this mystery of God that is being talked about. And and that this mystery, um, Josh Jedeke, one of our elders, so clearly uh, and cleverly said, is really no mystery at all. Like it's it's Christ. (laughs) Like that's the secret. Um, And that's a secret that is free and available to anyone who would be willing to receive it. We learned that this centrality of Christ is the common identity we all share as a community and what it means to live in the centrality of Christ in our homes and in our work. Paul closes his letter to the Colossian church with the continued sentiment of what it means to do all that you do to the glory of God, but directed at what that looks like in the life of the church. So revisiting our, um, our passage today, verses two through four, we see Paul give this instruction. He says, Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open up to us a door for the word so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I have also been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way that I ought to proclaim it. Paul writes here in his first set of final instructions to the Colossians, and this is our first observation for today, that a community rooted in Christ is devoted to prayer. A devotion to prayer indicates here that it is not something that the church engage in merely on a sporadic basis, but it's a part of their DNA. It's something that is observed and applied on a deeper level. For instance, um, another hobby of mine is uh, college football. Um, I mean, football in general, but, you know, I'm, I'm not the football elder here. That's clearly staked out by Samir, and I can say that well, he's not here today. But um, particularly, I'm a big fan of the University of Georgia. It's where, where we came from. Uh, and so now, where I come from, there are legions of fans, and, uh, but being a devoted fan is like a whole other thing. Um, to give an image to what I'm saying, I, I consider myself a devoted fan, right? But let's just say there's a difference between people like me and, and people like this. Um, yeah, we've got, and there's, there's another one too. Um, th- these are legit fans. Um, I love the Bulldogs and I consider myself a passionate and devoted fan, but that is a level of devotion I do not possess. Um, the point being, that devotion, it requires passion, discipline, attention, and practice. So to be devoted to prayer, you have to make time and consistency for it. Uh, But if I may encourage you, church, in this observation, I just want to remind you, like any discipline, whenever you're trying to devote yourself to make a discipline, it's okay if you're bad at it when you start. Um, Don't let your lack of mastery of a spiritual discipline discourage you from pursuing that at all. Um, we see the results of devotion to prayer in Scripture itself, um, especially early in the book of Acts. Uh, after Jesus ascends into heaven, the remaining apostles, women, uh, Mary, Jesus's brothers, they're all together. And, and the Scripture says that they're devoting themselves to prayer when their next steps are sort of revealed to them that are to be taken. And not long after that, after uh, Peter preaches at Pentecost and the Holy Spirit, you know, shows up and uh, the body of believers that make up the beginnings of the early church as we know it, they display a devotion to prayer as one of the trademarks of their identity that contributes to this monumental growth that they experience. They're studying the apostles' teaching. They're breaking bread together. They're fellowshipping together and devoted in prayer. They're, they're sharing life together literally and spiritually, and the church grows as a result of that. Amazing things can happen when a community rooted in Christ devotes itself to prayer. Um, But it's not simply like a blind devotion to prayer that Paul gives us. He also helps us out by giving us two examples of what traits should characterize our prayers. Uh, Verse 2 reminds us to have an attitude of thanksgiving, uh, we are to be motivated by a heart of gratitude toward God for who he is and what he has done for us. Um, in, a, in a devotional called Truth for Life, um, Alistair Begg, he wrote that, he says this about a heart of gratitude. He says, "...this kind of gratitude has significant effects. It turns our gaze to God and away from ourselves and our circumstances." It defends us against the devil's whisper, which incites us to despair and to distrust what God has said. It also protects us from pride, eradicating from our vocabulary phrases like, I deserve more than this, or I don't deserve this. And it allows us to rest in the knowledge that God works out his loving purpose, not only in pleasant and encouraging experiences, but also in unsettling and painful ones. The second trait Paul gives us is asking for the right opportunities. Uh, Look at the opportunity in verse 3 that Paul asked for. He said, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open up to us a door for the word so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I have also been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way that I ought to proclaim it. He prays that God would open doors for him to continue to share the ministry of Christ. Paul is in prison. And when he gets done saying, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. What that means for Paul is, I can bring God glory by using my time in chains to continue to pray for opportunities to preach the gospel to others. Let's be reminded here, he's in prison for preaching the gospel, And Paul's prayer while in chains is to get more chances to do that very thing that put him in chains. Paul doesn't let his circumstances define his identity. He allows Christ to do that instead. And Paul's example was something we see in the New Testament in multiple places, a community who is rooted in Christ, showing their resilience and their passion despite persecution. I can't help but notice that Paul doesn't say, pray that God opens up the prison doors and gives me my freedom. Christ is central to Paul. And despite what it costs him, that is his first motivation. To continue to honor God by preaching the good news to those who would hear it. Paul, I'll say this too, though. Paul doesn't dismiss the pain and the difficulty that he faces. He doesn't gloss over it. Even at the end of the letter in verse 18, he says, Remember my imprisonment. Um, Paul acknowledges his suffering, and he even asks the church to acknowledge it too. But he still sees Christ as better. There's a valuable lesson in that. Our current hardships and sufferings are real. And we would do well to recognize that in one another as we come alongside each other. But the greater truth here is that Christ is better. And Christ is enough, no matter the length or circumstances of our sufferings. Our next observation today is that a community rooted in Christ is seasoned in grace. In verses five and six, Paul writes. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Your speech must always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Earlier, Paul gives a prayer request to the Colossian church that more opportunities would come for him to share the gospel with unbelievers. He now instructs the church on how to do the same. The church is told to exercise wisdom and to make the most of the opportunity. Or um, another way I've heard people say it before is redeeming the time, uh, which is something I really like. Our time and our opportunities to share Christ, are they're never promised in relation to how much time we have or how many opportunities you would get with the same person. Uh, and while that's true, that doesn't necessarily mean that every action you ever have with someone who doesn't follow Jesus has to end with this sort of like, car salesman ultimatum, like, you know, what do I have to do today to get you? Um, that's not the demand. Uh, instead, it is of utmost importance that being, by being rooted in Christ, we follow the examples that Paul wrote about in chapter 3 and allow Christ to shape our identities and dictate how we would approach those around us who have yet to hear the good news of Jesus, So if like Paul says in chapter 3, we're doing all that we do as a means of service to God and not to man, if we're putting on hearts of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, then we are making the most of each opportunity because we are making Christ the center of these opportunities, opportunities we're taking. And yes, sometimes that absolutely can look like an interaction ending with someone coming to faith in Jesus right then and there, or God could be intentionally using you on that day in that moment to continue and draw someone just that much nearer to himself. It is an absolute must that grace be the identifying trait of the manner in which we approach those who are outside our body of believers. The work of God using his church to restore his creation back to relationship with him is not a debate that has winners and losers. It's not a nail that needs to be hammered. And it is not a cause that is completed by picket signs and legislation. The first definition of grace I was ever given, it was also the simplest one I was ever given, but uh, it stuck with me my whole life. And grace is the idea of being given something you don't deserve. Approaching someone in grace can often be easier said than done, I readily admit. Uh, We have to battle our own selfish nature and at times rise above someone else's selfish nature being thrown back at us. Um... In trying to remember to let God's grace shape my approach to others, I'm encouraged by the words of an old family friend of mine. His name was Dr. Wayne Barber, and he he wrote this book called Living Grace, and there's an excerpt from that I'd like to share with you that has really helped me. Um, Never allow people and the careless way they may treat you stop you from letting Christ live through you. Try to take each situation one at a time and just say yes to Christ in the middle of it. In that moment, he will manifest himself through you. And because of his power expressed through your submitted soul, people will no longer see you as much as they see him. It's a beautiful thing, even if it's not an easy thing. It is a beautiful thing indeed, even if it's not an easy thing. That might be the simplest description of what it's like to follow Jesus I can give you today. Um, The Colossians here, you know, they were dealing with a lot of stuff. They, They were dealing with combative philosophies ideas and beliefs that sought to threaten the teaching that the early Christians were trying to have established here. Uh, And it certainly stands to reason that attempts to clarify and stand for the truth in order to keep the teaching within the church blameless could have been met with some pushback and some conflict. So Paul reminds his brothers and sisters to respond with grace. And to do that, both then and now, Paul also mentions in his letter to the Ephesians about giving grace to others Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth, but if there's any good word for edification according to the need of the moment, say that so that it will give grace to those who hear. Giving grace to others with our words often looks like not just saying something true or accurate, but saying the right thing at the right time, along with the right motivations for doing so. Uh, A couple of years ago, uh, not long after we moved here, um, I I was... Uh, bringing one of our kids to uh, a track meet. So um, at this particular meet, there were, there were a lot more people in attendance than, than usual. So uh, I don't know if you've ever been to a track meet, but it's chaotic. <laughs> um, there are tents everywhere, lawn chairs, stadium chairs, kids running all over the place, both on the track and not on the track. Um, anyway, so I, I, I'm walking along to our destination there. Uh, I've got a cooler in one hand, a drink in another hand, and I've got a stadium chair like strapped to my back. And um, I'm heading along to the stands when all of a sudden uh, just, wham. um, I probably find like the one hole that's in the grass and it's like right next to the pavement in the entire uh, venue. Um, I I hit the hole hard and then uh, I face plant right onto the pavement. Drink. Just goes flying everywhere. Not my most graceful moment um, in in, in many ungraceful moments I've probably had in my life. Um, So I'm feeling, you know, pride's probably hurting more than anything else uh, as I'm trying to get up. And so as soon as I get up, uh, my child, who had been several steps ahead of me, had already rushed back and was back, back to me as I was getting up. And in my mind, I'm expecting like, hey, dad, you know, are you okay? Can I get that for you? Whatever, you know. And the response I got in return instead was, hey, Dad, did you fell like that another time at another track meet. Do you remember that? <laughs> See, here's the thing. He was right. <laughs> what he said was true, right? But I don't know that I could say I really received grace from that interaction. Um, he wasn't wrong. He didn't say anything incorrect. Uh, but just being right... Is not the most important thing in our relationships with others. Let me say that again, so we can let the laughter die down, so we can hear this. Just being right is not the most important point in our relationships with others. So when we engage with, as this translation reads, outsiders—basically, just you know, people outside the church, people who don't believe in Jesus—simply telling them something true isn't as important as how that very truth is being presented. Hence, the need for grace. And look back. Let's remember here that Paul is building this instruction of being gracious and making the most of our opportunities, just as he's shared that he's wanting prayers for more opportunities to share the gospel. He knows and is sharing with the church the most fruitful opportunities to share the news of Jesus Christ is done so with a gracious approach. Being a community rooted in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, every follower of Jesus can be enabled to display that grace to others when each time comes. And that leads me to our third observation today, that a community rooted in Christ has a place for you. Uh, The first time I I ever read this passage with the intent of preaching it, uh, I took one look at it and I was just like, man, man, uh, we didn't do this in our actual scripture reading um, by design, um, but there's just, you know, all the lists of names at the end of the chapter that you kind of have to work your way through if, um, you know, just trying to pronounce stuff. So get get ready. I'm, I'm going to work through that in a minute. Um, but the more time I actually spent dedicating to studying this passage, the more I've grown to appreciate it because of what all these names, places, and instructions imply about the church itself. If you'll bear with me for a minute, um, please give me a gracious response, (laughs) if you will, uh, to let's revisit the remainder of this passage, uh, starting in verse seven. As to all my affairs, Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bondservant in the Lord, will bring you information. For I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts And with him is Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of your own. They will inform you about the whole situation here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings. And also Barnabas' cousin Mark, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And also Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision. And they have proved to be an encouragement to me. Epaphras, who is one of your own, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings, always striving earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I testify for him that he has a deep concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings, and Demas does also. Greet the brother and sisters, brothers and sisters who are in Laodicea and also Nympha and the church that is in her house. When this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And, and you, for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to the ministry which you have received in the Lord so that you may fulfill it. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my imprisonment. Grace be with you. Earlier in this series in Colossians, we were reminded that there's no distinction and what separates us within the church, because Christ is all and is in all. If that wasn't enough, a closer look into who Paul mentions at the end of this letter fleshes that out in greater detail. That list of names um, that I just read contains both Jew and Gentile. It contains both men and women. It contains the poor and the wealthy. Runaway slaves and doctors. Native Colossians and then transplants from other regions. Your history doesn't determine if you belong. Your age doesn't determine if you belong. Your gender doesn't determine if you belong. Your economic status does not determine if you belong. Your employment does not determine if you belong. Christ alone determines that you belong to His church. And He's already determined that by His death on the cross and His resurrection from the dead. And if by grace, through faith, you're saved by Jesus— I would invite you to look around because you belong to a beautiful, grace-filled family. In his book, The Storm-Tossed Family, Russell Moore uh, writes this. He says, we naturally have a drive to belong. In the church, we belong to one another as brothers and sisters with a common future. Even using the language of brother and sister can seem overly metaphorical to us like brother in a fraternity or prayer warrior in Christian parlance. But this metaphor... Rocked the ancient church, though, because as the people discovered just what it meant to share a storyline in the past and an inheritance in the future, they knew that brothers and sisters have obligations to one another, that they do not have uh, to the outside world. That's why the early churches are described as caring for the needy among them financially and as holding accountable fellow church members for their sins. We are not isolated in the walls of privacy, but we belong to one another. We bear one another's burdens because we're family. A community rooted in Christ is capable of such life-changing, transformative love and relationship. I know this because God has been gracious enough to allow me to both give and receive that love and relationship in different times in my life. I have seen needs met, lives changed, and relationships restored because of the transformative power that Christ brings to his church. And that transformative power is on display even within this very passage, if you only dig a little deeper. So a little further backstory into our passage today reveals that Barnabas's cousin Mark, he's also referred to as John Mark in uh, other places in the New Testament, mentioned in verse 10, he has history with Paul. Earlier on in the book of Acts, Paul and Barnabas were serving together on missionary journeys and for a period of time, uh, Mark was with them. But out of nowhere, Mark leaves at one point and goes to Jerusalem. Uh, And we don't really get a full explanation as to why, but future events seem to indicate that that did not sit well with Paul. Later on, Paul and Barnabas are discussing going back and revisiting cities where they had preached before and Barnabas pretty much says, hey, let's bring Mark along. And Paul is like, immediately, no, not doing that. Um, he's so against the idea of including Mark because of his previous departure that Paul and Barnabas end up splitting and going their separate ways. Barnabas ends up resuming journeys with Mark and then Paul takes Silas instead. So here we are some 12, 13 years later from those events. And after the mention of Mark's name causes Paul to disassociate from a ministry partner, Paul is sending a letter to the Colossians, and he says, if he, Mark, comes to you, welcome him. Not only that, but at the end of 2 Timothy, which is the last letter we have from Paul nearing the end of his life, in his closing there, he asks for Mark by name because, and I quote, bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. A community rooted in Christ can restore what is broken, even if it takes some time. It is made up of all kinds. With Christ, it is capable of all manner of things. And it has a place for you. Before we close today, <clears throat> let's go back to the movies, if that's okay. Um, you have to get your own popcorn, though. Um, go, see, go see The Kids Men. I think they have some over there. All right. Um, so I, I, it's, I want to take you back to 1993. My dad, um, when I was that age, took me to go see a movie called The Sandlot. Show of hands, anybody? Man, oh, man, I was really scared. I was gonna feel like super old today uh, referencing this too. You, you guys have really showed up for me. I really appreciate that. So uh, Sandlot, it's, uh, it's about a kid who moves to the valley and, with his family in the early 60s. This kid, Scott, um, the one on the right, like why am I pointing that out? I don't know that this is the movie fan of me coming out uh, again, sorry. Uh, but anyway, he doesn't have any friends. He has a pretty awkward relationship with his stepfather, and he just doesn't feel like he belongs anywhere, right? And he's hoping to discover and shape his identity. Then one day, he watches some kids from afar playing baseball, uh, loving life and, and just having community together as the little group of friends. So he gets discovered by one of them, Benny, who's kind of like, you know, the unofficial like head of the group. And even though Scott doesn't really understand much about baseball, he doesn't know any of the famous players. Uh, or he doesn't know the, you know, insider baseball, you know, terminology or lingo. They welcome him in and there's a place made for him. And by being welcomed in, he starts to believe in what's going on and is transformed by being welcomed into that community. Um, there's a whole lot more, you know, that happens in that movie. But the point that I'm trying to get at is that maybe today is the first time you're here. Um, or maybe you're like I was a few years ago and you're looking for community in an unfamiliar new place. Or maybe you've never belonged to a community of believers in Jesus at all and you're just trying to figure out what's going on around here. I want, you to, I want to let you know that even though the book of this passage today is written for people who are already a part of God's family in his church, that there's a place here for you too. You're welcome to belong here and we will gladly walk with you in hopes that, just like Scott, that right here among God's family, you would have a place to belong in hopes that you could discover a place to believe. In closing today, if you sit and ponder those final instructions that Paul gave here in Colossians, it's a lot to bear if you're trying to do it on your own power. You're trying to stay devoted in prayer on your own, particularly a life of prayer that's always thankful. Or uh, what about always having wisdom and grace when dealing with others who don't believe what you believe? Or just looking for a place to belong when you don't fit in on paper, but all you have to look to is yourself. I don't know about you, but those expectations seem insurmountable under my own strength. But that is not what has been asked of us. We've been asked to stay rooted in Christ and allow that to transform our lives And the insurmountable becomes possible. Because of who Christ is and what he has done, you are capable of a devotion to prayer that will help you love God more. You are capable of living in grace that will draw you to love your neighborhood and community more. And you have a place to belong where you and your family of faith can love one another more. Only because of the centrality and supremacy of Christ. As I leave you, let us remember. Remember to pray. Remember to show grace. Remember you belong. Remember to be rooted in Christ. Let's pray. God, we have nothing without you. We recognize that you are the center of who we are. And God, I praise you and I thank you for giving us an identity that we can rejoice in. And that identity is you. So God, as we wrestle with that, God, I, I pray for anybody here who's, who's, who's wrestling with their identity, trying to find it in other places or being lied to that their identity isn't something other than you, that you would break through that noise, God, and you would remind us just exactly who you are and what that means for us as well. And God, as, we're, as we take steps and our identity in you, I pray that you would enable us to do the work of the church that we are called to do. And with you at the center of who we are, God, you are going to do the work that you are going to do. And I'm grateful that you invite us into that space. Be with us as we move forward and uh, go about our weeks in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you'd like to join us in person, our services are Sundays at 10 a.m. and we're located at 11-0-11 Havenhurst Avenue in Granada Hills. Find us on Instagram at StoryCityGH or online at storycitychurch.com. Go and be the church.